you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Today we read <clears throat> Martin Bootser's uh, confession, and uh, the reason I requested that as uh, we were preparing the, the worship is I specifically remember the first time I ever read that. I remember where I was. It was at a worship service, and it was, I was not leading it, I was participating. It was at a presbytery meeting, and we always have communion uh, before we do the business of uh, the presbytery, the business of the church. And I had never read that before, and, and I remember we started reading it, and I was thinking, yes, yes, in my mind went ahead, though, and I thought, I remember specifically thinking, yeah, but I'm not a murderer. And then we got to the wording of Bootser's confession, and uh, it was like a dagger that pierced my heart, where I said, yes, I am. I, I am a murderer. And then as I, I looked at all of the commands, I realized that after each one, the pronouncement guilty, guilty, guilty would be upon me. And yet, that communion service was sweet. Because it reminded me of the glory of the gospel and the forgiveness in Christ. And how though I am guilty in my mind and in my actions, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, even as we just sang, was crushed by the Father on our behalf. Today, as we look at this preparing for the Lord's Supper. We have, for those of you that are visiting with us, we have during our communion services been looking at uh, different ones of the commandments from God. And we are on that sixth commandment. We read in Matthew 5, but first remembering what it says in Exodus 20, verse 13, where it says, you shall not murder. And then beginning with verse 21 in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, this is Jesus, Say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Clear instruction from you, O Lord, you have given. Will you penetrate those shells around our mind and our hearts that would tend to justify and protect and rationalize and cause us to think that we are anything but guilty. But thank you that we'll not be left there. But this table before us reminds us that you, though you were innocent, went to the cross and took the punishment of a guilty one. Thank you for that. Please open your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first let's look at the word itself that uh, in Exodus is translated, you shall not murder. We, you know, those of you that had other versions of the Bible uh, probably grew up, and if you ever memorized it, it's uh, thou shalt not kill. And so the question is, how'd that get changed to murder? What's the, what's the definition? What does it include? And uh, I've just taken an, an amalgamation I've pulled from various places and put in some of my own wording uh, <clears throat> that it, this word can mean anything from the willful premeditated taking of human life or that which is an expression of personal Hostility, that's the one end, that that would be what we tend to think of as murder. But the same word uh, can be used elsewhere. I don't think that's what it means. What I just said is I think what it means there in Exodus. But how that same word is used elsewhere in full disclosure is uh, even the taking of life in a war and even uh, on, on the other end of the spectrum, the... Uh, what we would call manslaughter, the accidental taking of a, a life. Now, so what we do is we've got to look at the context and decide, okay, well, what, what's it talking about here? Because if you, if you look in the Scripture, uh, the taking of the life in, in war, for instance, in that which uh, would be your calling as a soldier... In obedience to the civil government, we know we're called to that. And a part of that calling may be the taking of another life. That is not what we would consider to be murder. It's different. It's in a different category. It is not what this command is opposing. Nor is it talking about what we would call manslaughter, the accidental taking of, of a life. Uh, in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, when someone accidentally takes the life of someone else, uh, there's actually civil protection for that person so that they won't be executed because we see in uh, the Old Testament that if someone murders, 
another, their life is to be taken. It's laid out there. And the reason being, we read in, for instance, Genesis uh, 9, 6, because they have destroyed one who bears the image of God. That shows the seriousness of it. It shows that, that to, uh, in hostility, in a premeditated way, take the life of, of another as a personal uh, avenge. What you have done is you have destroyed one who God created in his own image. That's what makes it so serious. And you might say, well, how does that fit with the, then the taking of the life of that person? Well, all that, that's doing is showing how serious that is, that it's so serious. And there is no remedy for that from a human perspective. You can't fix it once it's been done. It must be paid for. So um, what I want to do is today uh, quickly look at what I would call three levels of guilt um, in terms of murder. The, the first would be what I've put in the outline as what I would call the least tempting for most of us, and that is what we typically think of as murder. Now, that's not to say that there aren't those who have been guilty of that and even Christ followers who have fallen into that sin. It happens, but it's probably the most rare for us, the least tempting for us. Although, I think we all, uh, maybe even in a joking way, act like we're tempted toward that. Uh, if Junior were here, I would wring his neck, you know, and, and, you know. And yet, if Junior were there and we could sneak up behind them, we wouldn't really wring their neck. We, we know that that's, that's a figure of speech. It's, a, it's an anger toward that person or a frustration toward that person. But in terms of real temptation, that's probably the least. Now, unfortunately, the temptation was for the Pharisees to uh, look at the Old Testament law and, for instance, take this and say, Oh, yeah, well, I haven't, I've never murdered anyone. So that's, I, you know, I'm, I'm not guilty of that. And Jesus would say, not so fast. There is a second level. And that is, I have put in the outline that it's more tempting for some. And that has to do with the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life with life beginning at the moment of conception and ending when the last breath is taken. We see all of life as being sacred, every moment in between from that first moment. Now, I have... uh, I've supplied you with a yellow sheet and we're not going to 
We're not going to go over this. You, you may even have this from previous years when I have taught and preached on this. It's a resource for you. This month is uh, Sanctity of uh, Life Month. January uh, is designated that by many churches. And, and one reason is because going back to uh, January 22nd, 1973, when abortion was made legal in our land. And so usually the Sunday closest to that is designated Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We're, we're, uh, that really for us would be next week, but in God's providence, uh, this message was planned long ago. And, and so I, I could not ignore that. It wouldn't be appropriate. But just take a look at the headings here. And there you see uh, what we consider to be the biblical view uh, where life begins and ends. God makes no distinction between a, a child in the womb and a child after his birth. God doesn't make that distinction. We tend to make that distinction, and it's ever sliding, isn't it? You know, where, where the viability of life could be because, uh, you know, some years ago a child wouldn't have lived if he was born at, at such and such a stage, and now they regularly uh, live. But, um, by the way, I wear almost every week this uh, tie pin that uh, the Woodwikes uh, gave me. And on the pin are two little feet. I've been asked, what are, are you a Tar Heel fan or what is it, you know? And that's not really what it is. Those, those feet are, uh, they're, they're designated as precious feet, but... Uh, they are the actual size of the feet of an infant at 10 weeks in the mother's womb. And it reminds us, this, this is a, a human being. But you know what? Even before they look like feet, even before those feet are there, God says, this is one made in my image. And we take that by faith, not by what they look like. And so, secondly, God speaks of the fetus as a human being from the moment of conception. You can look up the scripture there. And then thirdly, God must be the one to determine the end of life on this earth. So, certainly not before birth, which would be abortion, but on the other end of life, there are issues there as well. It is God, we believe, who gives life, and he's the one that should determine the end of life as well. And here's why. Because life derives its value. Um, you see the first point, humans are dis- distinct from the rest of creation. We're not like animals. We're not like the grass. We're not like anything else in creation. There is a soul there. And the value of mankind is that he bears God's image, as we've already talked about. Now, the reason I say that's more tempting for some is because uh, I've spoken of many groups through my ministry uh, on the sanctity of life issues, uh, particularly on abortion. And when I was in Pennsylvania, I represented uh, a group and went around speaking to churches on this. And I was conscious that not only in groups that I went to speak to, But in my own congregation, and that's everywhere that I've been, including here, there are those who have been involved 
with abortion. Some who have had abortions, some who have encouraged it, some who have stood by and said nothing, but many who bear that guilt. And while we should consider it a very real guilt, the glorious thing is that in the gospel, it is not the unpardonable sin. That there is forgiveness. And you need to know that if you've been involved in that and you're convicted that, that uh, it is a sin and you've tried to walk around and get rid of that guilt, get rid of that memory, you need to know the only answer is trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. That's your hope. But that's the glorious thing too. You can be freed from that guilt. And yet, there is another level. And that is what I'm calling the most frequent way this is violated. And that is what I read to you earlier in Matthew 5. Jesus says this, because he knew, he knew that there were those abusing this and saying, well, I've never actually murdered anyone, so good. That, you know, that's one less I have to think about. I'll work on the other nine commands. And Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, if you look at that carefully, you realize that one verse, or actually two verses that come from separate passages... And the commentator, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that that's the way they would teach it. You, you, you shouldn't murder, and if you do, you'll be liable to judgment. And, and the context of that verse in the Old Testament was a civil judgment. And so Lloyd-Jones says what was actually happening was that that, that was weakening what God said, which is, you shall not murder, Period. In other words, they began to teach it. And that's, by the way, you can find that, that second part of the verse and, and it being fleshed out in Numbers 35. But what, what, it, what it's saying there is that you, you shouldn't murder because you might, might get caught and have to pay for it. And Lloyd-Jones' point is this that that actually weakens it because what it is is you must not murder because you're destroying one who's made in the image of God and he will be offended. Don't worry about the civil uh, magistrate. Don't worry about any punishment you might face in this life. Who have you offended? It's the offense to the holy God when you murder. So Jesus corrects and clarifies. He says, verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Oh, man. Anger? 
you know, I'm, I'm not tempted to actually murder anyone. Anger. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Some of your versions where it says you fool, it, it, it may say raka. Now, um, that, doesn't, that word doesn't mean much to us. And uh, once again, Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd he, he describes raka as um, calling somebody a worthless fellow. Now, I, I want to give him some grace here because he's a Brit. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, probably in his day and uh, over there in England, to call somebody a worthless fellow was really a bad, bad thing, okay? So that, that's why it says that in the, the commentary. But, you know, that's not the way I talk and I doubt that any of you have been guilty of calling someone a worthless fellow. How about a worthless piece of trash? A person's a piece of trash. See, that, that's what it's saying. Now, if you say that, who's going to be offended? Well, maybe the person who you call that, maybe not. They may or may not be offended if you call them that to their face. How about the one who created them? To call them, a, his creation, a piece of trash. He says, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, all of the sudden, Bootser's confession comes chasing after us. Where he says, I confess that I have taken life, that I have offended my neighbor often and grossly by word and deed, caused him harm, grown angry over him, borne envy and hatred toward him, deprived him of his honor and the like. And it's a violation of our verse of the year. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. It smashes that commandment. Now, that's the bad news, that we're guilty. The good news is that unlike actual physical murder of another human being... Unlike points one and two, murder and the life issues, those two you can't fix. You can be forgiven, but you can't go back and bring somebody back to life or a a baby back to life. You can't. But this one, this one he says there's a remedy for. Yes, it's forgiveness in Christ, but there's an action that you can take that can fix your murder of that other human being. And so Jesus graciously tells us how. 
dealing with that violation of 23, uh, verse 23, he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're going to worship or you're going to communion. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Now, how important is worship? We know how important it is. We are always to worship. It is owed to God. And yet he said, he says, if, if you've got that problem between you and your neighbor, drop the communion plate. Don't do that today, but that's what it's saying. Put it down. Put it down and go fix it. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, he doesn't say give up on worship. Don't go to communion. He says, by all means, go do those. But first, be reconciled to this one where murder has taken place. We can see that Jesus says dealing with with conflict is essential. The point is this. You're not going to be able to worship well if you're ignoring broken relationships. Practically speaking. Sometimes things can't be solved before you go to worship. but there can be that commitment to do so. There might be ongoing marriage problems that you just, you can't fix. But in your heart, you can fix your side of that. In Christ, not, not you doing something, but in Christ. And then you can do that which is right. You get the point. And so we come to this table before us. Where Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then here's where part of this application comes, verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And there is the invitation and the caution. The caution, don't ever take this table lightly. You don't want to eat and drink judgment on yourself and I don't want you to. So here's the thing. It would be better for you to take the plate and not partake and pass it on. If 
if you have some sin in your life that you're unwilling to deal with, pass, let it pass by. Because that's an idol. That's between you and God. And it's that serious. Because then not only will you have to have to deal with that sin, but then you have to deal with the, the insult it is to God of making a mockery of his table. And you don't want to do that. And yet in Christ there is forgiveness. And so even in these moments as we sing here in a moment, as we pray, as these plates are passed, do your work with God. Jesus has done everything necessary for you if you are trusting in him alone for your eternal life. But get up to date with him. Speak honestly with him. He already knows. You're not telling him anything new. But he offers us this wonderful forgiveness in him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we are not left uh, only with guilt and in a hopeless estate, but instead you call us particularly today as we're about to, uh, to partake of your supper, particularly to look deep, to see our own sin and to deal with it, but then not to dwell on our sin but to dwell on the glory of the cross. Will you enable us to do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.